Well, Northside family, good to be with you today. Can you welcome everybody online real quick? I know a lot of people are traveling and around. I want to say thanks for tuning in if you're driving or you're on vacation today. And like Aaron said, uh, you know, we're doing this series called Relationship because relationships are tough. And uh, even if you have the best of intentions, that doesn't mean everything in your relationship will go easy. And sometimes we hit the wall in our relationships. Sometimes we hit the wall with God and we go, God, where do we go from here? Or maybe you're in a dating relationship and we go, I'm not sure I know how to navigate this. Or maybe after five years of marriage, when like the honeymoon phase is over, some of you are like five years, right? It was like five weeks, right? No, but you know, here's what happens sometimes in our relationships is we hit the wall and we know that there's change required. We just don't know how to change. And this series, it's not just a marriage series, but I'm telling you, if you apply the words of God, it will make your marriage better. Uh, this series isn't just a dating series, but it is for you if you're dating. Uh, this series isn't just a parenting series, but if you're a parent, this is going to help you with your kiddos. And if you have parents in this room, it's going to help you with your relationship with your parents. Because here's what God knows about us, and here's how all of us are made, whether you're a believer here today or not, is this. Every single one of us were made for relationships relationships. And here's why this is so important. It's not just that you were made for relationships, but God actually uses relationships to change us. This is why our relationships matter. This is why the people that you give the most influence into your life matters. Uh, last night after the Saturday night service, I had an honor of doing a wedding for some of my friends and they were giddy, unbelievable story. Uh, they knew they wanted to marry each other within two weeks of meeting each other and it was crazy. And they're telling me all this other story. They're like, we can't wait to get married and this, this, and this. And in the ceremony, I just wanted, they were so beaming with each other. I just wanted to say, you all have no idea what you're in for, right? And, uh, and it's not because marriage is bad or any of that stuff. It's this, sometimes we don't know the changes that we're in for. And then when we hit the change, here's what happens. We don't know how to change. And oftentimes, I heard this, I think it was by Gary Smalley, he's a marriage counselor. He says, stress is the difference between your expectations and what you're experiencing. That's what stress is. That you have these expectations and then you experience this and then you don't know how to handle the conflict. You don't know how to handle the change. And see, this is why we want to look at God's word because the beauty and even what we're doing for these four weeks is we're looking at how God created us for relationship, how God moves us forward in relationship. And I want to invite you to keep with us for the next two weeks because next week we're going to really dive in to anger because what's going to happen is this, in our relationships, you're going to get angry. And I don't know if you've realized this, I've realized this, sometimes my anger, I've hurt the ones I've loved the most. And God is going, I want to change that in you. I want to deal with that. But the question for you and I is this. We all know we need to change. You know, you can probably think already right now on the top of your mind, a relationship in your life that needs to change. All right. We all have it. The question is this. What is your source for change? Where are you going to get the change that you're looking for? What I find interesting is this, every time you study the life of Jesus, I'm always wowed by how many times everybody who comes and approaches him, whether it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the religious people of the day, here's what I found. Every single person wanted to come to Jesus and change him. They had a problem with him and they're like, Jesus, you got a problem, I'm here to fix you. Turns out it's kind of the other way around, isn't it, right? But what I love about Jesus is this, that in Mark chapter 12, there's this man who comes to him 
And, and they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to, to, to see that he's clearly in the wrong, that Jesus needs to change. And the guy comes up to me and says, hey, Jesus, out of all 613 Old Testament laws, which one's the most important? He's trying to trap him. And what they're trying to do is this. They're trying to get Jesus to see that he is clearly in the wrong. And Jesus goes, oh, good question, good question. He goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He starts quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And everybody knew that. But then he says this, and love your who? Neighbor as your who? As yourself. The guy was stunned. Because what happened was this, Jesus changed the answer. And you read the guy's reply there in Mark chapter 12. He's dumbfounded because he was there to prove that Jesus was wrong. And Jesus began to introduce him to the change that he desperately needed. And the guy's answer is this. He goes, Jesus, you real good, right? Like that, like that's like kind of what it says in the Greek. He's like, Jesus, that's, that's, a, that's a good answer. And then he goes, because God wants more of our obedience, more than he wants our sacrifices and our burnt offerings. And what was happening was this, when he came, come and it came, when he came and come in contact with Jesus, the change he was looking for was revealed to him. See, oftentimes for us today, we're looking for change everywhere but Jesus. And the relationships that you have today, the relationship that you have with God, the relationship that you have with others, and the relationship that you have with yourself, the change you're looking for is found in Jesus. That's why today we're going to be looking at this because what we're going to find is this, Jesus meets our deepest needs. The changes that we need, Jesus Needs. Now, some of you, as soon as you hear that word needs, you're like, oh, Nate, we're going to talk about our needs today, right? You know, and we, and we don't like talking about it. And can, can we be honest? Like, we don't like to say that we have needs, but we like for people to need us, don't we? Like, I, I've never heard anybody complain. You know what? Everybody comes and asks my opinion, and I'm getting tired of it, right? I've never heard that. You know what I've only seen? People post their opinion on Facebook that nobody asked for, right? We're like, we didn't ask for that. We're not asking. Quit posting, right? And, and this is what I find is this. We love when people come and ask our opinion. We love for that to happen. We just don't like to admit that there's times when we actually need wisdom into our life. And today what God has for you and I is this, he wants to change our relationships, but he changes our relationships by changing the source of them. That's why last weekend what we began to look at is this, it's this idea that it's not wrong to have needs, but here's the deal, but where you go and get your needs met can be wrong. See, for some of you, you're here today and you know you've got things that need to change and it's not wrong that you have things that need to change. You need to hear that, it's not wrong. Because we're broken, sinful people. There are things that need to change in our life. But it can be wrong where you go to get your needs met. Oftentimes, we've always been told this, don't have any needs. The only thing is this, after a while, you're going to go get your, your needs met somewhere. And the question is, are you allowing Jesus to be the change of your relationship? That's why last weekend, what we began to look at is this. One of the, one of the shifts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is this. If you want your relationships to change, what we find is this. God has created our relationships with him and with each other. He says, if you want your relationship to be all that I've created you for, here's what you need to do. Be fully present. That's who God is with us. It says on day 6 of the creation, he created man. And then on day 7, God what? He rested. 
And sometimes we just go, I guess God was tired and needed to take a nap. No, you know what he did on, on day seven? He enjoyed his relationship with Adam. Did you know that God enjoys his relationship with you? That God wants to delight with you? This is why I tell my kids all the time, they're like, dad, we need a pool. I'm like, nope, we got a sprinkler in the front yard. We're just good, right? And, and then after a while, here's what happens. We're, we're out there and what's great in the moment and our neighbors, they're planting a garden and we're hanging out with them yesterday and they're over there planting and all this stuff's happening. And here's what happens. Sometimes we think we need this big, glorious vacation. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing is this, you can go do your big, glorious vacation and actually come back in worse shape. And really what your heart is saying is this, if you ever go on vacation or if you need anything, here's what you're really saying. I want us to be present with one another. I want us to be able to spend time with each other. I want us to be available to each other, to be known to each other. That is what we long for. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, here's what you know about your own self. You long for people to know who you are. This is why in the very beginning, when God creates Adam, he says, I've created you in a way for you to know me because I want to get to know you. And God says, not only do I want you to get to know me, I'm not creating anything else. All I'm doing is enjoying our relationship, Adam. Man, I am focused on you. I'm not over here making giraffes going, hey, just one moment, Adam, right? I I'm kind of busy. It's a giraffe, right? You know, hang on. No, no, no. He goes, I've done all the work. Adam, I just want to enjoy time with you. See, this is the love of our heavenly father. This is the change that is the foundation of our lives. This is the source of it today. Here's the second thing that we find is this, that changes our relationships is this. It's when you and I see the good in each other. And when you and I see the good in each other, we see plenty of bad, don't we? Matter of fact, can we just all agree? We see the bad in the world and we know the world deeply needs change, doesn't it? Man, we, we see it all the time. Matter of fact, we gotta be careful. If we're not careful, we'll see it on social media so much, we'll, we'll forget the hope of Jesus that has come into the world to redeem the brokenness. But here's what you and I need in our relationships. It's this, this is what we find in God. We need people to see the good in us, to speak the good into us. I, I want you to do this real quick. Just think about, and this might take a second, think about somebody who saw the good in you and it had a profound impact on your life. Think about it for a second. Could be a parent, could have been a teacher, could be a coach, maybe a family member, maybe a pastor growing up spoke into you. I, I remember I was thinking about this, just talking about the idea of people seeing the good in me. And, and here's the thing, there's plenty of broken things to see in each other. But I remember I was in a junior year of high school and I was super insecure. Uh, I prayed to God for a girlfriend. Obviously he was busy, right? He didn't hear my prayers, right? And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm insecure, I'm single, I can't get things to go my way. And here's what's starting to happen. I'm starting to become disenfranchised with the church and disenfranchised with God. Because I'm going, obviously, you're not paying attention to my needs, Lord, right? I'm here single. And then the junior high pastor, Mark, Mark Hostetler, came to me one day and he said, Nate, he goes, you love people. You love to encourage people. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, I love, you know, love to do that. I'm outgoing. He goes, why don't you come and preach to the junior high kids for me next month? I had no idea what that conversation would do in my life. 
I didn't have plans to become a pastor when I was growing up. But what happened was in that conversation, Mark gave me an opportunity. He saw good in me to come up. He knew my life was in shambles and there was plenty of things that I needed to change. But he said, Nate, why don't you begin to step into that? And then after that, I began to sense this calling from God. And he said, man, if you want to go be a pastor, he says, the the guy who poured into me, he's a youth pastor and professor at Lincoln Christian College. You ought to go there. I went to college there. I became a recruiter for the school. I was recruiting students down here over 15 years ago, one Easter weekend, and I was just sitting across the street at Coffee Crossing, and then my wife, Ruthie, who she didn't know she was my wife at the time, right? But, but she walked in, and I met her there, and I was sitting there just thinking about my life and my marriage and my calling and my career and this and this and this, and I could draw it back to this one conversation that Mark Hostetler had with me. Then when I couldn't see the good in myself, somebody saw the good in me. He spoke into me. And I just want to remind us, church, today, your words, you may feel like there is no power to the words that you have. You have no idea how God wants to speak the good into others through you. See, our relationships, our words matter. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says it this way. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And a lot of us, we grew up knowing that, yeah, I got to go to church, can't, you know, I got to quit cussing, right? And, th- and that's kind of where we stop, but he doesn't stop there. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He says this, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Last service, uh, the fire alarm uh, went off and we all had to evacuate the building at the end of the service. And uh, I had to stand outside and, and it was, was kind of neat because I got a chance to say hi to people walking by. And one of my buddies, Phil, walked by. He said, sermon went too long. Had to pull the fire alarm, man. Sorry about that. And I'm like, I'm like that is not building me up according to my needs, Phil. No, but, and, uh, you know, sometimes sarcasm is our love language, right? And, uh, and I love it. And I love the power of the church. And, you know, he's just being playful. But Paul reminds the church. You know, you may be here and you go, I've got nothing to value the church. Can you build anybody up? Man, can you just say the good that you see in somebody? Man, I see this and every time I see this in you and I'm around you, I'm better. Aaron was up here. I tell you, him and his family are an absolute gift from God. They moved down here because of his wife's job. He was a lead pastor up by Fort Wayne. He has made all of us better. And I'm telling you, this is what can happen when, when the church shows up. And we speak the good into others because here's what happens. Satan wants us to believe and focus only on the bad because this is what he knows. If I can get you to focus on the bad, you won't focus on the good that Jesus has done for you. That is at the foundation of our broken relationships This is what I know is a struggle that I'll have in relationships. It's so much easier to see the bad than it is ever to see the good in somebody else. But see, our foundation, the shifts that need to happen, what we find is this. God is always being being someone to speak the good into us. It says this in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. This is why we need each other and to see the good in each other. It says this, because a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You and I are gonna go through adverse times. We're gonna face adversity in life. I was facing adversity as a junior in high school and somebody spoke into me, a a godly man spoke into my life 
He had no idea what would happen out of that. And guys, here's the thing. We don't know what our words will do, but we know this. Our, wor- our words shape people's worlds, don't they? Some of you, you're holding on to phrases that maybe your parent or somebody said to you growing up, and it has haunted you. And I just want to let you know today that there is a source for your change. But sometimes we got to change the source. Matter of fact, what I want to find here in Genesis chapter 3 is this. Here's Satan's temptation to you today. Here was Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve today is this. His temptation is for you and I to change our source. That's what he wants. He wants you and I because what happens is this. We get stuck in the rut with relationships. That's what Satan, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants. He's come to steal your identity. He's come to destroy your relationships. He wants to kill everything about us because he wants exactly the opposite of what God wants for you. Matter of fact, this is what you see happening in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are flourishing in this relationship with God. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes up and it says this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, here's the hint that Satan wants to do here. He wants to begin to change the source of Eve's life, the goodness. That's what he wants. That's how he kind of undercuts our relationships. Did did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. She's like, no, I know, I know what God has said. He, he's told me. Satan continues on. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I love what one theologian said is this. He said, money's not the root of all evil. He said, comparison is the root of all evil. Comparison. Here's subtly, this is what Satan loves to do. He loves to begin to try to get us to change our source. And what he's telling Eve is this, you're not going to die. And when you eat the fruit, you're going to be like God. And what he's really saying is this, Eve, God has shortchanged you and you need to eat that. And you're like, I, I should, yeah. I should do it. And that's what Eve does in this place. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, Eve has gotten a bad rap for all these years, right? They're like, woman, man, that's when you give her a credit card, boy, she's going to blow all the money and all this other stuff. You leave woman alone, right? And the whole garden's going to burn down. Some of you are like, that's in there? No, that's not in there, right? Okay. What does it say? And she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her. You know what the first sin is? Not that Eve ate the fruit, but that Adam didn't live up to his responsibility of protecting Eve. You see, our job of flourishing is this. We only flourish in the right relationship. Our relationships are what changes us. You and I are going to face temptation all day long, just like Adam and Eve. The only thing was this, Adam became 
passive. He goes on to say this. Not only did he give some to her and he ate it, it said, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What do we do when we hit the wall in a relationship? When we know maybe we've said something that we shouldn't have? When we've done something that we shouldn't have? We hide, don't we? We cover things up. We act like it's not there. See, Satan is always in this place here with Adam and Eve. What he's trying to do is this. The change that you need isn't God. The change is something else. You need more wisdom, Eve. She had all the wisdom she needed. Oh, you need more, Eve. And see, here's Satan's temptation for you and I today is this. We believe the change will happen if we can get what we need in life. You need more than God. And you see this played out all through history. Just read history books. Marxism, it's coming to the world. And here's what Marx says. You need more power. And if you get power, you'll have everything you need. Only until we see countries fall apart when they begin to live their life that way. Freud comes along and he says, no, it's not power. It's pleasure. You just need to get all the pleasure you can get. And if you're not happy, it's because you're not having all the pleasure. So who cares who it hurts? Just get pleasure. Until we sadly realize after a while, pleasure, and when we use people for pleasure, actually never brings people together. It only robs people of their dignity. Friedrich Nietzsche, German philosopher, comes along and he declares, God's dead. He can't deliver. And so you must deliver for you. Without saying it, he was kind of the first one that said, you do you. Oh, have you heard that? And here's the problem with this. You ready? The you do you means this. I'll be the change that I need. Although I know I need to change. I'll be the change that I need. But I'm not changing. But I'll be the change that I need. And see, God is sitting here going, that's not how I've created you. This is actually how relationships fall apart. But here's what we find also in Genesis 3. We don't just find this is where relationships fall apart. See, this is why relationships got tough. It's this. Here's what we also find in Genesis chapter 3 is this, is that when that God continues to come after us, even when we quit going after him. See, this is the good that we get to see in this world today. For some of us in this place, you go, Nate, I can't see anything good about myself or what's going on in the world. Here's the good that we can see in Genesis chapter 3 is this, is that even when we quit going after God, God continues to come after us. See, God and his relationship is the one who continues to see the good. And listen what happens here in verse 8. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord and among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Notice he calls to the man first. Adam, you've been passive. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. It's what we do when we mess up in relationships. We hide. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, the woman you put here with me. Real mature, Adam, right? God, Adam, what have you done? It's the woman. 
And did you notice what he said there? He goes, it's the woman you, that God, it's her that you put here with me, right? God, this wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have created her. Right? And it's like, Adam, hang on, man. And see, this is what happens in our relationships. When things get broken, we start hiding, we start blaming, we start tearing all these things apart. He says, it's the woman you put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Oh, so it's not just her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate Here's, what, here's the good. Some of you are going, Nate, I don't see the good in this. Here's the good that's happening here. It's this. God shows up and he asks them three questions. And it's, they are full of grace. And you know what they said? He says this. Adam, where are you? Who told you? And what have you done? You know what the grace of God does? When you and I are all messed up, when you and I have hit the wall, when you and I need so much change and redemption in the world, you know what he does? He shows up and he treats us with dignity. You know what he doesn't ask? He doesn't ask the question that typically we ask our kids or your parents asked of you when you messed up. Why'd you do that? Right? And what's our answer? I don't know. Felt like it, right? Oh, well, good, right? Right? That's not what God does. Why'd you do that? I don't know. He doesn't show up. Adam, why'd you do that? He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? See, this is the loving God that we have that in our mess and in our carnage and in our sin, he shows up and he says, where are you? Because I am here. And not just where are you? He says this, who told you? what have you done? See, you have a loving father who no matter what you're carrying today, he shows up and he sees you as the human that he created in his image and he loves you. Even if you're here today and you don't believe in him and you don't follow him, he says, I see you and I know you and I am the change that you need. See, this is the beauty of our father God. This is why we've got to come back to the ways of his relationship. Because not only does he show up, listen what he says here in verse 14. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. He says, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, which means hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then he says this, and her offspring, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Some of you go, what does that mean? It means this, Jesus is on the way and he will crush the head of Satan. See, in the very garden, Jesus promises Christmas or God promises Christmas in Jesus. See, even when there's nothing good in us and nothing good in our relationship, God shows up and he says this, I promise redemption for you, but you gotta let me be your source of change. I promise redemption for you. Today, God has redemption for you and your relationship, but it only comes from the one who crushes the head of Satan through the cross, through the grace of Jesus. And as a good parent right after this, God grounds them, right? Because that's what good parents do, right? If you didn't get grounded, man, you should have gotten grounded growing up, right? Because this is what a good parent does. A good parent disciplines us for our good, not in an abusive way, but for our good. Hebrews talks about this. 
That when he disciplines us, he disciplines us for our good so that we would become sons and daughters of God. And this is what he tells Eve. Eve, because of your sin, because you chose to change the source, childbearing is going to be a whole lot tougher for you. Some of you women went, that's where it came from. Got it, right? Now I know, right? And he says this, childbearing is going to be tougher for you. And not only that, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's happened now. You're going to desire to rule over your husband. Meaning this, you are now going to have conflict in your marriage. See, this is what I found. We get to make our choices. We don't get to make, we don't get to choose our consequences. This is why having Jesus as our source matters. It matters. Then he tells Adam, Adam, he said, because of what you've done, He said, you're going to have to work the ground by the sweat of your brow. And it doesn't mean hard work. Adam was already working hard. It means this. This is what it means to be, to work by the sweat of your brow. Before, every time Adam planted something, it bloomed. Now here's what's going to happen. Adam, you're going to plant and there's no guarantee that it's going to bloom because the world is now fractured. Some of you are here today. You are working your tail off and you may not see any return. And now we're caught in this tension. See, this is why we need to come back and to see the good of God because not only does he say that, as a loving father, he disciplines, but he says this in verse 21. Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. They were full of shame and regret. Matter of fact, the three biggest things that tear relationships apart are this, shame, Blame and denial. And here's what happens to us in our relationships. We let shame begin to rule us. We let blame happen. Her fault, your fault, God, couldn't be my fault. Or we deny any of our own actions. And what we find God doing here in Genesis chapter 3 is this. It says God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife to clothe them. See, the good news for us today is this. The world... At some point, we'll say this to you and I, I'm done with you. I've used you, I've got what I've wanted from you, and now I'm done with you. But God is so unlike the world, because when the world says I'm done with you, God says this, I will cover you. You know how you move forward in your relationships? You allow the covering of Jesus, the grace of Jesus to cover your shame, your blame and denial so that you can move forward in the way that God created you. See, he crushed the head of Satan that day on the cross. He gives us a new way. This is why Paul in Romans chapter two, verse four, he's trying to remind the church, he says this to him. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? See, it's when you and I see the good of God, the graciousness of God, the kindness of God that he wants to cover us, that we now begin to change our relationships. God's not waiting for you to bring the change. All he's saying is this, will you let me be the change that you need? Will you let me begin to redefine what your marriage looks like? Will you begin to let me redefine your identity and your relationship? Began just to think back more and more. I I can't imagine what my life would have been like without my buddy Mark Hostetler speaking life 
into me. See, here's what God wants for us. He wants us to see the good, and then this is what he wants us to do. You ready? He wants us to be people who say the good. To see the good and to say the good. I'm telling you this. If you're married here today, one of the greatest things, one of the most godly things you can say today is this. When you see the bad in them, go, Lord, help me to see the good today, right? And then not just see the good, say the good. And when you see your friends who are excelling at work. Sometimes when your buddy calls, you go, yeah, man, just got a promotion, got a company car. Good for you, bro. So excited. I can't even make my insurance payment, but great, you don't have a car payment now. Oh, awesome. No, right? And when we see the good happening, say the good. When we see the good, say the good. This is how God is saying, here's how relationships work. Let me redefine this. When there was nothing good in us, God says, I am the good that you need. I was on a plane a number of years ago. I was flying back from a mission trip and the guy sitting next to me, he, he said this, he goes, uh, he's a, a business owner in Chicago. And I said, well, tell me about your business. He was telling me and I said, well, that's cool, man. And he said, actually, he said, uh, at the moment, he said, we've been voted the best place to work four years in a row in Chicago. I'm like, dude, that's a big deal. And now he's like won like 10 years in a row. I said, what's your, you know, what's your secret sauce? And uh, he said, here's what we do. He says, we have a thing called a withhold in our company. He's a Christian and he takes Christian ways and he infuses them into his work. And he said, here's what we do. He said, the whole company has to know this. He says, when you have a good thought about somebody three times in a row, you have to say it to them. He goes, if three times in a row, somebody is just crushing it, and yes, they're doing their job, and yes, they're paid to do it. He said, we say you have to say the good that you see in others around you. And he says, here's what's happened. It's, it's changed our entire culture. He goes, because now every day people are having people go, man, I see this in you, and you are making work so much better. Thank you for bringing your heart and soul to work. And he said, as a Christian, you know, he goes, I know it's kind of like one of those things that you can't always go out and say because Jesus told us so, right? But he goes, there's something powerful when Christians don't just see the good, but they say the good. They say the good that this world needs to hear. They say the good about the Savior who's come to meet them right where they are and will change every relationship. I was thinking about Mark and him saying the good to me. I began just to think about the conversations that Jesus has had with people. Because what's amazing is the more you study the life of Jesus, oftentimes you would find him talking to one person and then after that one conversation they would be radically changed. And not just them, but their relationships would change. And this is what I love, John 3, 16. You know, we all know that, right? You see it at football games. My first thought when I read it was Jesus probably was at the football game in Jerusalem, right? And he held the sign up. I don't even know if they have football in Jerusalem, right? But that, that's my thought. And he's just probably walking around to the big crowds, John 3, 16, right? We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say this in 17 right after. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's what we think a lot of times that's what God sent Jesus. He just sent Jesus just to damn us all to hell. No, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's what I love about John 3:16. It wasn't first said at a football game. It was said at night to one man. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, 
who was embarrassed to be seen with Jesus in the daytime. And so he came to Jesus at night because he knew he needed a change. He knew the Old Testament, but the Old Testament wasn't changing him. He needed a change. John 3.16 is just one conversation with Jesus and a man who needed a relationship to change. See, this is how much Jesus loves you and I, is he's willing to give John 3.16 to one person. And then this is what I love about it. It doesn't say, and then that next weekend at Northside, Nicodemus was baptized on baptism weekend. (laughs) Doesn't say what happened. Doesn't say if his life changed. It doesn't say in that moment that Nicodemus gave his life over to Jesus. Matter of fact, you don't hear about Nicodemus again until John 19. And this is what it says. It says, after Jesus went to the cross, Joseph of Arimathea went up to take down the body of Jesus to bury it. And then real quick in there, if you read John 19, just real small in there, it says this. And Nicodemus was with him. Nicodemus, the guy who had this one conversation, this one encounter with Jesus, over time it began to change his world. He had to deal with it because he knew this, if he began to be a follower of Jesus, it would change the relationships around him. He'd probably be kicked out of being a Pharisee. He'd probably lose his career. He'd probably lose this. He'd probably lose this, all this other stuff. And in John 19, this is what he found. Jesus was worth the change. Jesus was worth the change. And today, for some of you, you, you've been looking for the change that you've needed and you've tried pleasure and you've tried power and you've tried just to you do you and you're here today going, I've beat my head against the wall and it's not worked. And Jesus just wants to say this to you today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He is the change we're looking for. The change we need with God, the change we need with our relationships, the change that you need with yourself. He is the change. Matter of fact, he doesn't just want to change us. He says, I want you to see the good and then I want you to be people who say the good in the world, to bring this goodness into the world because people know what's wrong, but they need to know what's good. And here in a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to take the bread and the juice, and we're going to declare that, Jesus, you are it. Only through your cross do I change. Only through your grace do I change. And then we're going to sing, because we're not just going to see the good. We're going to say the good. We're going to say the good of Jesus. And so right now, I want to just pray for us as we take this time of communion. I want to invite you to get your cup out, the bread and the juice. And this is what I want you to do in this moment. This is a great time for us to thank God, but not only do we want to thank God, here's what I want to invite you to do today that's a little bit different. I want you just to tell God the change that you need. Maybe there's a relationship. For some of you here today, maybe some of you watching online, there's some people in your life that you haven't talked to in 20 years. And I'm not saying it's going to change overnight, but maybe today... The prayer for you is this, God, would you begin to change this relationship? Because I sure can. God, would you begin to bring your change in me? 
See, this is why we take communion. This is why we thank God, because he is the one who can change anything. So let me pray for us right now, and then you begin to talk to your Savior, the one who died on the cross for us and rose again. So, Father, today, God, oftentimes in this moment, and I know I'm guilty of this, Father, I let shame and blame and denial keep me from you. I let it keep me from other people. But, Father, there is no shame, blame, or denial that has kept us from you. And so, Father, we can't even comprehend your goodness and your love and your mercy, but you continue to lavish it on us. Your scripture says that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And so, Father, in this moment, I just pray that we would be overwhelmed with your love. Because, God, I know in this room, we're tired of trying to bring the change that we need. And we just can't do it. We need you. And so by the power of your spirit, we just ask you today, Jesus, would you help us to allow you to be our change? Your cross is enough, and you are with us today. And, Father, you are worthy of our celebration. We lift our lives and our relationships up to you, Jesus. Have your way in us today. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. Let's take communion together right now.